Kevin and Mike are here to give you great news. Nice. Hey, welcome back to another great news with Kevin Ryder and Mike Catherwood. Boom. Boom. <laughs> that means subscribe if you like this show. We would appreciate that. Yes, please subscribe, like, all that fun stuff. Download what you can. And then um, Kevin and I both are on uh, all forms of social media. At the Kevin Writer, I'm at Mike Catherwood, and um, we've really benefited a lot from people sending us great news stories. Yeah, and it's we've fantastic. we've used them, and uh, it's nice to know that like we're developing essentially a network of yeah. positivity. You know, so let's get things started as an intro. Yeah, the show's about to begin, bro. It's true. Say hello to the happy goodbye to the blues, cause Kevin and Mike are here to give you great news. Cell phone, bro. <laughs> uh, our first story comes from Kenya. This is a uh, school that gives a second chance to teen moms. You've been, right? I've been to Kenya, yeah. It was the trip of a lifetime. It's nuts. It was a miracle. Yeah. It was a miracle. Um, the poverty, the kids that have to walk six miles to go to school and six miles back but are pumped about it all yeah. huge smiles on their faces yeah i've heard that about other uh african countries that you know that's the thing is that it's devastating to see people living in with such intense poverty but at the same time their outlook on life is so much better than most westerners that you you it, it in turn yeah. becomes uplifting it's crazy well this story yeah. apparently and i had no idea that this was the case but apparently 13,000 teens get pregnant on a regular basis and that doesn't count last year 2020 when everybody was forced to stay at home wow so there were a lot more and when they get pregnant they have to drop out of school the school says sorry we can't help you so okay. all of those people drop out of school and it's brutal and they've started now another school right below mount kenya where this other school is Hey, if you're pregnant or you have little kids, come to this school and we will teach you. Now we're talking. That's okay. an amazing thing. Check this out. Josephine Wanjiru's dream of becoming a nurse could have ended two years ago when she became pregnant. She's 19, and for teenagers in Kenya, pregnancy usually means being forced out of education. But a new school has given her renewed hope. Nestled into a hill below Mount Kenya, in the Serene Haven Secondary, the sound of babies cooing punctuates lessons and infants can be seen crawling on the stairs. That's my aunt, the one who paid the school fees, called me. It was on December and she asked me, Josephine, what do you think about your life? And if you can get another chance, can you go back to school? I said, yes, I can go back to school. Serene Haven opened in January, and among its students are 17 teenage mothers and pregnant girls. In a normal year, stigma, logistics, and money compel around 13,000 pregnant girls to drop out, Kenyan government data shows. That number is likely to spike this year, with lockdown restrictions fueling an increase in adolescent pregnancies, according to aid agencies. Elizabeth Moriuki, a former social worker, founded the school. So out of the 17, you see 14 girls got pregnant during COVID period. 
Muriyuki was a teenage mother herself. She says her story of being able to build a career encourages pupils like Josephine that they can succeed. And with the boarding school offering counseling services and daycare, Josephine can focus on her ambitions. I'm sure that my dream is, is going to come true. How about that? It's beautiful, it really is. Um, that's, English is not their native tongue, is it? No. How, God, doesn't it ever, I don't want to say insult you, but it, it, yes. it breaks my heart. I can't when speak people, the language. Yes, and, and, and it's always like, though, you know, those, every one of the young ladies that talked on that piece spoke perfect English, yeah. and uh, you would meet them, and they'd be like, I'm very sorry for my English. Yes. And then you're like, yeah. you fr- dude, <laughs> it's better than you don't mine. You have to tell me. Yeah. Listen, um, did you see her writing? Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Penmanship. Perfect. I have a question. That reminds me. This related to the story, not at all. But okay. It, I, I think an interesting question. Okay. Why? I can't think of any real scientific reason, but it is so true. Why is it that little girls almost always have far better penmanship than little boys, even when the little boy is a good artist and can clearly... Little boys are dumb. I, but see that... <laughs> I mean, I was. I, I agree. I was too. <laughs> but but little girls that have great penmanship aren't always smart. It just seems like... I don't know. You see like a little... Like a 10-year-old girl and you take a 10-year-old boy. A 10-year-old boy looks like someone it's murdered killer. it with a pencil. <laughs> and then little girls are always like perfect, but yet... That little girl may not be necessarily a very good artist, and the little boy could be can draw perfect pictures. It's very... I don't know. What is it? I, I don't, don't have either. the answer to that. I don't either. No. <laughs> That's a great question, though. Um, inmates. Inmates. Criminals. Yes. Okay. Um, they have been caught for doing a crime... And they're I think doing, that's, a, they're that's doing their time. Everybody understands that with the okay. inmate word. And, uh, you know, hey, everyone makes mistakes. But um, sometimes you can turn to the inmate population to actually help you out with their very, in the words of Liam Neeson, very special set of skills. <laughs> Check this out. This is a crazy story. Let's check this out. Several inmates putting their unique skill set to good use. They jumped in to help free a one-year-old who was locked inside an SUV. Here's TJ Holmes with the video. This video shows inmates in their striped prison uniforms breaking into a car. What is but this, sheriff's 1920s? are standing nearby telling them, go right ahead. The front door. They aren't stealing a car. They're rescuing a baby. She okay in there? A one-year-old girl who was accidentally locked inside an SUV. You okay, baby? After the parents called authorities for help, the group of Florida work-release inmates who were nearby offered their special skill set. You know, the trustees are people who made mistakes. We're trying to rehabilitate them and get back in society. The child's mother posted the video over the weekend saying, Dad accidentally locked his keys inside <laughs> with the girl. So before resorting to smashing a window, the inmates gave them another option. A couple of them pried open the door just enough to slide a coat hanger inside and hit the unlock button. Yes, thank God. Woo! Police were grateful for the inmates' skills, which they say can only be used under supervision. <laughs> only when the deputy's around, we give permission. Can you break into that car? There were a few tears at the end. Honey, was that stressful? Oh. <laughs> but the one-year-old was just fine. 
Oh, poor thing. So glad she's okay. That was TJ Holmes reporting. Listen to this. Those inmates, by the way, were able to break into that SUV in just under two minutes. Hello, That's I'm Mark what Brown. I'm talking about. <laughs> in under two minutes. Pretty sweet, though. Like, that seems like a movie script. Like, that, you, you, that doesn't happen in real life. There were know? inmates that are dressed like that. Nearby. Sure. Where was that? 1920s. Sure. Like, they looked like, remember when, like, the Three Stooges would go to prison? <laughs> yeah. I was surprised they didn't have, like, a cannonball to attach to their, to their ankles. It's very strange. That was a weird one. All right. Let's uh, talk about a Chicago restaurant owner. Okay. His name, I'm very sure, is Mike Robert, Ditka. Robert Magier. I'll go with it. M-A-G-I-E-T. Magier? Okay. Magier. Sure. Um, and his restaurant is car called uh, Taqueria Cochina. No, oh, look at you. Very positive. Nice. He is helping out uh, local tamale vendors. These are just people who are out on the street trying to sell their tamales. And look how he's helping them. Oh, look at that weather. Nope. No thanks. The guy is literally buying all of the tamales. Oh, dude. All of them. And I believe he's explaining it to us here, <laughs> but we can't hear it. He said, he went up to one of the women and he said, if I buy all these tamales, will you get out of the cold and go home? And she said, absolutely. How many tamales are we talking? Um, I don't know, but here it says Look, that he's 10 helping vendors? 10 vendors. I'm going to say it's over 500. Yeah, I would think so. to say 50 a pop. Oh, can we hear them now? Snappy music, isn't it? He's been helping the Chicago community for a long time, feeding people who need to be fed. Nice. Imagine being a tamale vendor, having a guy walk up to you and say, go home. You, you I'll say, take them all. And you would say, stop messing with me. Yeah. You Don't be a dick, dude. I don't like them to be out here, he said. I'm going to buy the tamales. I'm a big fan of tamales. It's hard to... So I thought I'd buy them all. It's hard to read lips with the masks, isn't yeah. it? And that was a guy who buys tamales. <clears throat> Beautiful story. I've always dreamed... <laughs> and that's I've, Mike Ditka. I've always had a huge <laughs> dream of, like, being F.U. rich. And, and uh, here in Los Angeles, I'm sure it's the same way around a lot of places, but here in Southern California... Very frequently at freeway off ramps and certain streets, there's these guys selling um, flowers or oranges because, yes. you know, they, a lot of times Mexican El Salvadorian immigrants, they come over and, and these companies, they, they hand them and they st literally stand out in the sun all day hoping that you buy. And I've always dreamed of like having like 10 grand and being like, I, not only am I going to buy them all, here's a here's four grand or something. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I've always had that fantasy, but I'm not rich. Um <laughs> You know who is rich and nice and probably would do something like this? John Cena. Yeah. John Cena, uh, by and large, super well-known for being an incredibly nice, considerate person. And you know what I found? I'm not... I don't have anything against wrestling. I know people who don't like professional wrestling or right. are into it. They, oftentimes, they talk shit on it. Right. I don't have any... I, I get it. I get the excitement and their, their athleticism is amazing. But I'm not a wrestling guy. But I have noticed... 
an awfully large amount of professional wrestlers from the WWE in particular end up being like really solid people. I have wondered if they're trained. I well, wonder if they have training to say, look, you're in a, in a position where you could do a lot of good because I, there's so many of them that are. The, the one thing that I do think is maybe at play here is that um, like NASCAR, WWE is super focused on the connect the th relationship with the fans. Right. They're like obsessive about it. I did a, a, a promo spot, a, a radio promo thing with Kevin Har Kevin Harvick. Is that his name? The, the NASCAR guy? I do not know. Um, well, it was this NASCAR dude. And <laughs> he was a big deal in NASCAR. Um, and I, I was blown away by the NASCAR executives were like, Browbeating him and like, no, no, no. Now you go out and you shake all those people. Oh, hands really? And you wow. make sure those are those are the people that pay your bills. And I, I do think that there's a very similar thing going on with wrestling. But John Cena is head and shoulders above, yeah, anyone else. He's really well known, and even when he's now and proven to be a really, really talented actor, he's very good on camera. Um, all the other actors are always like, man, he's just the nicest guy. He really is. Um, so he, they, they kind of tricked him in a positive way. They told him he was coming in to do a, um, commercial spot for cricket, uh, uh, mobile. Okay. Yeah. And he's coming in and he's the, the commercial is going to be him reading these really meaningful letters from fans. Right. But they had a little something extra planned. Check it out. some of the best fans in the world. A few of them have written you some thank you cards. Okay, well, let's check them out. So these fans are actually listening in the next room. Hey, Cena, thank you for changing my life. Uh, 2011, I was left for dead after getting hit by a car. When I woke up in the hospital, the doctor told me I would never wrestle again, let alone walk. One thing I learned from you was to never give up. Thank you for being a positive role model for a generation of kids who watched you growing up. Dear John, you have heard thousands of times, but you deserve to hear it a thousand more. Thank you. By the time I was 19 years old, I had lost both of my parents. Never give up. Those words repeated in my head because you were my light in a decade of darkness. Dear John Cena, your words never give up has helped me fight for a chance to be a mother through adoption. Many years passed, and things seemed impossible. But you helped me believe that my dream can become real. This year, finalized my adoption. My time to become a mother has become a reality. You, John Cena, changed my life. So it says he read every message, and there looks to be about uh, one two dozen. more thing to show you. And we have a video of him just telling his story. Sure. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and when she got her results, I asked her, um, what are her results were? And she said they were positive. And I was crying, and I was shocked. John Cena's message helped my family because I got his wristband that he gave to me. And um, when my mom was having her six-hour surgery, I gave her the wristband that I told her to never give up. 
and um, she's now cancer-free. It's pretty cool. At a young age, he has such great perspective. It's really cool to see, man. Yeah. Boom, the kid comes out from behind the, the little curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everything you've done. Stop. Stop. My family. Get over here. <sighs> Gives him a big hug. Throws him to the ground. Yeah, <laughs> body slams him. <laughs> Coolest surprise ever. That's quite the hug. You're extremely strong, you know that? And here's his mom. <laughs> That's, uh... That's pretty cool. This is what you gave him. He made sure that through my cancer journey, I say, Mom, Cena says never give up. And I'm now cancer free. That's great. That's great. Every single, Every single one of those fans that wrote him a letter, they're all there. Not handicapped and incapable <laughs> because of your message. Your mind goes to a dark place when you get injured. Never give up. And you know that I learned that from you. Fell into a deep depression, and I'd just given up on life. I got back on my feet. You showed me I can. I owe it all to you. Wow. Give it one last kiss. Thanks for changing all our lives. That's extra special. Thank you. <laughs> just remember that you guys, you guys do the work. And I mean that. And, uh... Don't think that you're the only one who's up against it, and don't think you're the only one who uh, doesn't have challenges to face every day. Well, you all lead by example, and I, I mean it when I say it. Never give up. This is a championship squad right here. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. This is a great moment, like some really, really heartfelt stuff, and it's a reaffirming message of be mindful that your actions affect those close to you. Scared the jeebies out of me. <laughs> Our stories touched him. How often does someone get to tell their hero about what they did for them? This is one of those extremely rare moments, and I really appreciate that. That was the coolest surprise ever. Hope you guys are having a night. <laughs> Where did that robot come from? Okay, here's Hope here's you some, guys are having uh I'm crying. That was a really special story. And uh but is like I don't think you can wrap your head around how freaking huge he is. I don't either. Like uh, I have schmutz. Um <laughs> he's uh, plenty of people are buff, but they're my height at most. Like I'm I'm tall for someone. I'm 5'10. I'm tall for super buff people. Right. Because most of them are stocky little dudes. He's like your height. Yeah. And jacked out of control and has a buff face. Yeah, he does. Like he has, he's so buff, he has a buff face. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you. I got to tell you, though, um, the one guy who said you were the light in a decade, and yeah. that's crazy to get your head around. It, it's so cheeseball. It like is. Like the idea of like this celebrity, especially a, a pro wrestler, let's be honest, you know, like this muscle head talking about never give up, never give up, never give up. But man, you know, for a lot of people, that's that's just the one thing they needed when, yeah. when things got dark. So I thought that was a beautiful story. That is. That's fantastic. Uh, the next story comes out of Kansas. A DoorDash driver paid it forward. Okay. Um, a homeowner, basically, DoorDash drivers um, are people who work all day. 
Yes, they do. They do this for 10, 12 hours. They don't necessarily get a lot of thanks, but one family left some treats out for them. Look at this. Drugs. Full effect of kindness in Mulvane. A DoorDash driver pays it forward to a homeowner for a good deed. Cakes John Hayes on how one delivery made a big difference. It's new at six. What was supposed to be just a normal DoorDash delivery here at this Walmart in Derby quickly turning into an act of kindness. One DoorDash driver hopes will spark some change. On the road and ready to make the delivery. It's normally a thankless job for mail carriers and delivery drivers like Brenton Swart. 12 hours a day. You know, sometimes I don't get breaks. That's why Swart says he was stunned when what would normally be just another Walmart grocery delivery turned into a random act of kindness. Aww. A bucket of snacks and a message of hope left outside of a Mulvane home encouraging him to hang in there. It was, it was pretty amazing, you know, uh, just walking up and, and uh, dropping it off and just picking up snacks. The coronavirus pandemic has been hard on drivers like Swart with the demand for contactless delivery surging. He says the extra work has taken its toll. This kindness, a reminder of just how valued he truly is. There's no words to describe what, what they did that day. I, I hope even just the smallest things will actually make people realize that there's people out there that really do care. Twart taking his own advice to heart, paying it forward to the Kansan who brightened up his date with a $25 gift card he's left on their porch. It's a small gesture and he says he's not sure if their paths will cross again but he's hopeful the generosity will spark more movements of kindness for years to come. To keep on doing what you're doing, because you'll be blessed one day. In Mulvane, John Hayes, Cake News on your side. That's, nice. uh, how about that? Yeah. A tiny little thing that made such a huge difference. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just showing that you're concerned. Some fuel for your day as you drive on your way, which is really a nice thing to do. I'd like to point out that they're not paying it forward, though. No one in that story paid it forward. They're paying it back. Really. He's paid it back. Yeah. Because it's the same. Have some candy. He's outside the house. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, you could have left a couple of adult gifts, is all I'm saying. And I don't mean like vibrators or anything. I'm just saying like beer, maybe. Like, a, you know, well, it was I don't a lot know of, that a lot a of delivery and, driver needs beer. You don't have to drink it right there. I'm just saying the kid was like 20-something. It would be nice if you... Dude, there was goldfish. Have you? Do you like goldfish? I don't dislike goldfish, I would but I, think they're, all of I goldfish. think they're overrated. I would eat all of them. A goldfish... Goldfish gets dominated by a Cheez-It. Yeah, I like them both. But okay. I don't know if there's any domination. Okay, fine. A Cheeto, a hot Cheeto... Shit. Okay. Beats up uh, a goldfish and then craps on it. It's so much better. Okay, I agree with that. Uh, my, agree. my point being is like, could it hurt? Would it hurt to throw in like a nice Heffenweizen or like a bong rip? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like they did something exceptional just by leaving anything. Okay. Right. And you're mad that it's not a bong. I'm rip. not mad. I'm just saying, like, like know your audience. Like, the, like with there Santa should be Claus. like a, a pipe sticking out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, take a puff on your way. <laughs> there. Uh, when I first moved to Venice, <laughs> when I first moved to Venice, um, I tried really hard to like get to know my neighbors and stuff because 
where I grew up, even though it was only like 20 miles away, it just wasn't like that. I didn't really know my neighbors and stuff. And and so I was like, hey, I have this like really strange, weird community. I thought I'd really get to know my neighbors. Did and you go just knock on doors? No, no. It's just oh. like, but when I'd see them around and, um, and there was like, uh, really, I was surrounded by a nice group of people. But one guy who was really, he, he was a car guy. I always see him working on, he had a really cool 70 Cheyenne Chevy pickup truck. And I was always talking about cars and everything. And he knocks on my door one night. It was a weeknight. I remember I, I was on my way, like getting ready to go to Loveline. It was probably like seven, eight o'clock at night. And uh, he's like, <laughs> my buddies and I, um, we're next door. We're, we're, we're uh, ripping some rails of meth. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I was like, oh, thank you so much. And he was so genuine about it. He's like, you, you know. As I, if it was a glass of like, water. He's got some tweak, bro. You want? And I was like, uh Thank you so much for thinking of me. And I didn't go into this long thing like I'm a drug addict. Sir. I was just like, uh, not for me. I, you know, I'm going to work. I probably oh, that's not a good a idea. Weird offer, dude. It's a weird offer. You know what happened? I think he. We would talk. Holly carburetors, and he saw tattoos, and he knew that I was into like old school punk. He's probably like, yeah, this guy sure, wants some bad. Makes sense. I just thought that was very funny. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, racism's bad. I think we can comfortably take that stance I'm sorry, here. What on is great it? news? Racism is bad. Yeah, we're not we're not fans. Uh, no, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always found it really fascinating when someone because I don't I don't think racism certain um, certain discrimination I do think is necessary. Part, no, but oh. unfortunately, part of like. Just being uh, not only a human, but like a primate. Like when someone's different than you, there's there's this weird. Yeah, sure. Thing. So, but you know, you work through that, and you kind of you get to know people. And but actual like racism, I do think, <laughs> I do think is something that's probably taught to you. You don't you don't like develop that on your own. No, you, know? you learn that as you grow. I right. think. And um, I've always found it really fascinating when people can kind of find their way out of it. Mm -hmm. And here is a, a older Southern racist who grew up in the Jim Crow South talking about how he found his way out of being racist. And I just thought that this was a really special kind of uplifting story. Now, I have a trouble. I have trouble telling. I have trouble telling this story. Same, dude. Franklin McCallie was born in the segregated South as a white privileged boy. Uh, McCallie grew up ignorant and deeply bigoted. Ten years old. As a ten-year-old, I got on the bus for my school. Everybody was black. Except for one seat, there were no seats, and a black lady was sitting beside that seat. And this lady said, I'll never forget it. She said, honey, you can sit right here. And she patted the seat and said, honey, twice. Honey, it's okay. You can sit. Elaine, I sat in that seat like this. I didn't move a muscle for three miles. I got off first. I went home. I didn't tell my parents I'd sat by a black woman. Macaulay hit a turning point in 1961. He begrudgingly attended a church meeting between his college and black students from another college. Uh, John was the black student's leader. Finally, I decided I'd say something. I said, John, let me ask you something. How come black troops in World War II fought so miserably? They surrendered. They didn't fight very hard. He said, Frank, where'd you hear that? I said, my father told me that. Now, John could have said, your father's an idiot. 
If you'd said it, the conversation is over. I never would have gone anywhere. He didn't say that. He said, Franklin, I don't think you and I know enough about that to discuss it intelligently. Save my face, save my father's face. Save it. He said, but let me ask you something. You have anybody fighting World War II? I said, yeah, I had two uncles. One was in the Philippines. One was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. He said, is that right? He said, I did too. I had two uncles fight World War II. I said, great. He said, you know where we eat lunch? I said, you don't eat with me. He said, that's right. My uncles and I, who fought in World War II, for freedom and justice and pursuit of happiness, we leave, we get on a bus and we ride two miles out of town to eat lunch because none of the stores we shop in will let us eat. And my stomach got tight and I didn't want to hear any more. He said, did you go to the bathroom? I said, yeah, I go to the bathroom. He said, where do you go? I said, I go anywhere I want. He said, my uncles and I, we get on a bus we ride two miles out of town to go to the bathroom because we can't go anywhere. I listened for the rest, of the rest of the three hours. When I got to my dorm, I lay down and cried. I sobbed for three hours. Next day I went in and talked to Dean and I said, it's crazy. We're studying English and math and science. And right across the street over there, we got people, citizens we don't even know. It didn't make sense. That marked the start of Macaulay transformation. Today, the boy who was afraid to sit next to a black woman now works to bring whites and, and I'm blacks together. I'm going to tell you, as this white person sitting here, I am absolutely certain I've been a... I thought that was pretty... That's quite a moving story. Pretty touching. You know, it wasn't... This, and now he has, you know, he married a black woman and he has four black. It's just that it was something so simple. And you get kind of like, there's no history book that would give you that kind of story. You have to experience, you're like, and, and also. I need, you need to meet everybody so that you realize how dumb that is. Right, right. And I, I always, excuse me. I just had a stroke. <laughs> I always think about um, the scene in the Jackie Robinson movie. I think it's 42. It was yeah. the movie um, where. You know, Jackie Robinson grew up where I grew up in Pasadena. And um, obviously there's racism there and there was and there still is, but it's different. And I remember the scene where Jackie Robinson first gets in to become a professional basketball, baseball player. And he, he's he traveling. He played basketball? He played as well. And uh, he um, is traveling around the country and he gets off at the first bus stop and he and his wife go to like use a water fountain. And it's like the black water fountain and then the white. And he's like, oh, wait what you know and i don't think that you could, should be his reaction right and you could read about it i obviously am aware of like the jim crow south or i'm aware of things that go on but if you go and you see that and you're like what the f what like there you're a dude who is scared to sit next to a black woman like yeah. it was a a leper it's very strange but uh, i thought that was very nice but you're right it is taught yeah. And he should have gone and punched his dad. That's what should have happened. He uh, should have kicked his dad <laughs> right in the dick. But, um, you know, then you got, you got to like, think of the grand scheme of things. Like, imagine what his dad was taught. You know, I'm sure his yeah. dad doesn't naturally think that. His dad wasn't a little baby. He's like, oh, black people were lazy in World War II. Someone, his dad well, probably yeah, taught him that. brought him up in that. And it's so, it's beautiful, I think, when you could see that kind of chain being broken. And don't be stupid. Yeah.
Right? That's a, a good, good take-home message, yeah. Uh, if you like this show, please subscribe. We would appreciate it. Yes, we would. And like things. We had a little like button. Sure, hit Go the like. do that. <clears throat> I was watching... Oh, I had a very strange night last night. Mm-hmm. I know you've had trouble sleeping, too. Yes. You, you, that's a thing. So I had trouble sleeping, and I watched Eraserhead, and then I watched Total Recall. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eraserhead's enough. Yeah. But I watched Total Recall. Very good sci-fi movie from the 80s, but it's so 80s, and I wonder, just a quick little message, how much cocaine was really being done in Hollywood in the 80s? Because there's a line. All. There's so many lines where you're like, what? Who wrote... At the end, Arnold kills Sub-Zero, like the guy who's on the ice skates. He's a, he kills him, and he goes, you are Sub-Zero. Now you're just Zero. And I was like, That's oh. That's a step okay. up, isn't it? And I go, wait. Zero's bigger <laughs> than Sub-Zero. Why would you? That's a t- No one in the script writing process, no one who greenlit them, none of the producers like, wait a second, guys. <laughs> Zero bigger than Sub-Zero. Is anybody... I just wanted to add that in. Thank you. At least Arnold's a guy who can make that sing. He can ah, really, really deliver that line. Ah, Sub-Zero. <laughs> Do it as Arnold, please. Okay. Outro. Ah, everybody, it's an outro. You know what I'm talking about, bro. It's like I'm coming every day. Yeah. They say hello to the happy goodbye to the blues. And Kevin and Mike <laughs> are here to give you great news. Get to the chopper. Feel so buff. <laughs> Kevin and Mike are here to give you great news. Nice. <laughs>